see it to believe it. Whoever said that must have been talking about Talladega. It's a place where chaos mixes with speed. And a playoffs weekend becomes a lifetime of memory. It's a tradition like no other. At a track like no other. And after it's all over, you still won't believe it ever happened. at the track the hot pass racing network puts you at the track with arca and all the major nascar series from daytona to the final checkered flag the hot pass racing network is your inside pass all right we've now been joined by the owner of junior motorsports dale earnhardt jr who also competed in tonight's race and dale before we maybe get some comments from you about tonight's race just Give us a few thoughts on, on kind of what it means for the team, for, for Justin to take home this win and have, um, you know, kind of this strong run right now as, as the playoffs really kick off for the Xfinity Series. Yeah, I'm real happy for Justin. It's, uh, winning at Bristol is such an amazing uh, accomplishment for any driver. This kind of ranks right up there with Darlington in terms of a driver's racetrack. You've got to be tough and move around and defend and be on the offense and got to be head on a swivel out there and, all the good drivers seem to do well and, and figure this place out. It's not a place where you kind of get any flukes. But um, So I'm, I'm proud for him, proud for Brant. Rick's worked hard to help us get this program going, and he's uh, he's more than just a, a, a partner. Uh, a lot of times it feels like Rick's part of the ownership of the seven car. And so uh, to see his whole group up there and happy and at a place like Bristol that, where it means so much is a great thing to see. And right as the uh, checkered flag flew tonight, you guys did announce that Justin will return to JRM next year with Brant, so that relationship will continue. Um, We'll now go to questions for Dale. If you have one, please raise your hand. We'll work to get a mic to you. We'll start with Davey. Davey Siegel with SiriusXM to your left, Dale. Uh, was the ride up to Victory Lane your idea, Justin's idea? Where did that start? That's old school, man. He, uh, I saw his, uh, I was like, I'm gonna ride up this ramp. I almost, you know, if I ain't driving up my own car, I'm gonna ride up the ramp in my, uh, in my, in the car that I own if I wasn't gonna win the race. Um, I remember in the late 70s and early 80s, they would, you know, the crew would climb on the car and ride to Victory Lane. Of course, I think the last team to do it was Kurt Busch and his group. Um, I think they all got fined about a thousand a, dry, uh, a person for whoever was on that thing. But NASCAR don't really approve of it. It's very dangerous for the entire crew to get on a car. But boy, it's cool to see. I remember pictures and and a bunch of books from the from the old days about that. But uh, everybody's just so happy, you know. Everybody that's had so much effort and work on the car, riding on the car after the race to the to the victory lane is symbolic for some reason for me. But um, I was just so disappointed that we didn't get to finish where we wanted to, and I, I, but at the same time, happy about our car winning, and I just uh, thought that I couldn't wait to see Justin, couldn't wait to, you know, tell him how proud and happy I was, and uh, Rick always pops in the windows, and, and Rick Hendrick does from time to time, so uh, I maybe was following his lead there a little bit, but it's pretty cool. Um, I, I've... Uh, I enjoy being an owner in the series. It's a great series to be, be an owner in. So, uh, During the race on the radio, you, you actually were kind of surprised how well you guys are running and that you're actually leading. 
going yeah. into the race, I mean, what were realistic expectations for you? I'm pretty low-key on my expectations, especially, I mean, I haven't raced here in six or seven years and haven't raced a bush car here and I don't know how long or an Xfinity car here in quite a while. So, man, I mean, 20 minutes of practice, just a handful of laps, and then go out there and qualify first car out. Uh, I was way behind and didn't really know what what I was doing or what I needed to be doing and all the sim work in the world won't prepare you for what you're going to face when you pull out on the racetrack here. The guys that race every week are seasoned, ready, mentally understanding what's happening, what the car's capable of doing. They're much better prepared. I just felt so far behind. So I think my expectations were really low. I thought, you know, looking at my record over the last seven or eight year races that I've ran, I'm kind of like a fifth to fifth to twelfth place guy. So I was thinking that would be good to keep that going. Um, I also think that I was the oldest driver in the field, maybe the only in his 40s, and so I was. That wasn't making me feel more confident. But uh, man, I, you know, you you get out there and in the race, every, you know. So I'm not a hot lapper. When the car's hooked up and you can mat it and go, I'm not your man. I'm not gonna get get a. I'm not a pole winner. I'm not gonna run the best lap in practice. But when the race starts and everything slows down and the pace drops, I can do I can do uh, what needs to be done and put the car and the tires where they need to be to find grip. And it was pretty much straightforward where you needed the left front tire to be. And I just kept doing that all night long and being real patient on entry. I'll tell a quick story real, real quick that helped me a lot. My dad never really told me anything about driving race cars ever. We never had conversations about how to drive a track what I should do in this situation, we never did. And um, for whatever reason, we was here one year, and I think it was my first cup season, and I was slow, struggling, in over my head. <clears throat> he got on the, t the top of the trailer with a helmet, or with a radio, and was like, I'm going to tell you where to lift. And he told me to lift, and it, I was sitting at the flag stand, and I was like, damn, that sound, that's no, no way I want to lift here. I can drive the car another three or four car lengths to the corner. And he said, now, and when the car dropped off in the corner and landed, he said, I want you to get on the gas here. And I said, damn, okay, now I know why you want me to lift so early. Uh, so that's the way I drive this track. I'm out of gas really early, and I'm back in the throttle when the car is is sort of landing in the, about the 30% mark of the corner. I'm back in the gas probably 20% really, really early and just wrapping the bottom, sitting there about 30% throttle for about the majority of the corner. And on an old tire, man, I mean, and they put the grip down there and paint the line and all that. I mean, it all adds up, makes it work really good. Every time I've tried to charge a corner here, I think about my dad's uh, lesson and think he's probably pretty pissed off at me for charging the corner here and I should be lifting earlier and driving it like he thinks. But that was the only driving lesson he ever gave me. <clears throat> all right, Bob. No, Bob Hockers, Fox Sports. Um, You've had bad experience with fire, so I'm curious, like, was there extra panic or anything <laughs> yeah. when you when? So it started smoking, and I thought, well, I started smelling something first, and I thought, man, maybe that's a car in front of me. Hopefully it's a car in front of me, and then I started seeing a lot of smoke around the dash and above the dash. And um, I thought we just had some rubber buildup on the pipes. I was telling the team about it so maybe they could see through the wheels that they might see a fire in there, and that would keep us pretty calm that would just have we just, you know, that would go out or whatever right and uh and then it was getting a little little worse the smoke was getting worse and i had them boys racing for the lead right in front of me and i looked down at the leg brace and it was on fire 
and I felt it stinging my leg. And so um, I thought, well, I can't keep going. So I, 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 if I'd have kept going, I think it'd have burnt me um, really bad. I don't know if it'd have went out, but I wasn't wanting to take that risk. And normally, and I think, um, you know, any driver that's what you know all y'all probably seen anytime you slow down your car's got any kind of fire and you slow down the fire gets bigger and so that's that was on my mind i was i was going down, <laughs> i was going down pit road with the winning that down and i was looking over at the pit stalls to see which crew was paying attention that was where i was going to stop and uh when i pulled up to the, i think it was the gibbs guys i was like waving at them and they figured they figured it out and uh helped me out and get, get me out of there because I was thinking when I stopped, it was going to get bigger. I didn't know what was on fire, and why in the hell would there be a fire at the leg brace? I felt I thought the transmission was going to explode because I could feel the tunnel getting hot, but it was literally on fire inside the car. We had a, we had a positive wire short above, up in the top of the dash, and the, the the casing on the wire melted down onto the leg brace and caught the foam in the leg brace, and the and the and the, the the cloth cover of the leg brace caught the whole leg brace on fire, and so it burnt the leg off my uniform. And I was, uh, it was like another lap, and it, I was probably going to get blistered up. So no, no, burns on your leg. no burns on my leg, just barely escaped. But I was disappointed to have to get out. We was going to run fourth or better. All right, Zach, go ahead. Zach Sterniolo, NASCAR.com. Dale, um, you, you said it right there. You probably going to run fourth or better. Um, and you said earlier that the expectation or hope was that you'd stay within that fifth to 12th range and outperforming that. How how much did that mean to you? I mean, you led 47 laps tonight. Um, just being that competitive when you do this as rarely as you do, how much does, does that mean to you despite the, the finish tonight? Yeah, I guess, I mean, if you aim low, you'll never be disappointed. So I, um, I don't set high expectations, uh, especially at this point in my life, but except for, you know, certain things um but when it comes to racing i try not to really get too competitive because when i really when i get competitive i get miserable even when i'm running well and um these races for me are about just coming back and smelling the smells and hearing the sounds and um getting reminded what's going on inside the car and what a driver thinks about i feel like that the further i get removed from my driving career the harder it is to be a broadcaster and an analyst and so running these races is all about learning and relearning really and re, re reminding yourself of what a driver thinks and goes through at certain situations and and just so you're so that stuff's fresh on your mind and um you know obviously uh having the girls here and isla and them isla's got you know kind of old enough to understand what's going on and that daddy races i don't know if that really is going to matter down the road to her but um you know i, I we we really I ran way better than i thought we would um, I had a blast. I'm a lot more confident, I guess, going to Homestead on how we might do. Last time I ran there in 2020, we we run second a lot um, throughout the day. But uh, so that, that I'm hoping that goes just as well. But I don't really. I've come here and got my butt kicked the last couple times, for real. Uh, Martinsville was real not great. We ended up 11th, and I think we run Richmond and run 15th all day, hard as we could go. So I was thinking maybe I was just getting too old for it, but this series is tough. It's just really competitive, most competitive it's ever been this year, you know. Um, there's at least four or five more competitive cars than we've ever had. So, um, But I was happy with the car. We did a lot of preparation. Um, um, 
hosts of ours helped a lot as far as getting that fifth car, you know, some race laps and getting those guys sort of ready to go to the racetrack. They came really confident and under, thinking that they knew what they needed to do for the car. So I was put in a really good position um, to be, you know, to, the car was good enough to kind of carry me through qualifying and everything. And then in the race, I got caught up myself. All right, Dustin. Dustin Long, NBC Sports. Um, how nervous are you before these events, and, and how do you decide? I know you talk about the broadcasting aspect, but is there a point where, because you don't want to, I don't want to say embarrass yourself, but you, you don't want to perform like you expect. So how much longer can you go in that sense? As well? I don't know, man. I mean, I think Kelly told me that next year is my last year, so – um i think yeah i don't know she just said i figured we were sitting there talking and she said i figure you'll run these two and then one next year and that's it i was like all right so um you know i don't know um we'll see what happens uh i like it i like it and i'll t uh, to answer your first question man i ain't never been as nervous as i was today i've raced my whole career locked into every race i've ever went to and I've never really had to deal with or, or, or sweat it out or worry about, you know, something happening and missing the show. And that's not fun. And it's the worst It's the worst feeling ever. And we got here, and we've been here all morning sitting around in a truck. And uh, I'm like, damn, I want to practice. I want to be out there running some laps and figuring this thing out. I need some laps. This 20 minutes ain't going to be enough. So sitting there just gut-wrenching and worried about making a mistake and, I did not feel like I, I got enough laps in practice to understand nothing. I felt like everything was way ahead of me and I was way behind on my on what I was seeing and processing mentally. Um, but that was the way it was when I came here when I was a full-timer. I mean, this place just takes time to get up to speed. Your brain ain't, ain't processing everything that's coming at it visually, but it eventually slows down. Um, but so I was as out... I feel like I was probably as nervous as I've ever been, probably more nervous than my very first qualifying attempt at Charlotte as a rookie. Um, I mean, I'm thinking back, and there's nothing more gut-wrenching than ha wondering if you might go home missing a race, right? I ain't never failed to qualify for a race, and being presented with that reality was frightening. Um, but So once I ran the lap, the 91, all that melted away. I was no longer nervous about the race. I watched this race that they ran here last year three times this week. And I'm like, man, it's got a rhythm to it, and it does. You know, we ran green flag the whole first stage. Just don't get worked up. Don't overdo it. There's not going to be a ton of wrecking and crashing. They guys just get in a rhythm, and they run hard and they run long. And I, I thought if I could just find a place to race, I would be able to run this whole thing with no problems and run all the laps and get a top 15 finish. And that's what I expected. <clears throat> but, I mean, you're, I'll run as long as I can. I like running one here and one there. But, I mean, certainly not till I'm 60 years old. But I think I am still feel young. I, I overachieved tonight in my eyes in terms of, you know, how I ran. So I guess I'll – I guess that gave me some confidence to, to try to do one here and one there for a couple more years. How does the – how does the driver 
how do you how do you be the driver and the owner tonight and see the one, eight, and nine get wrecked? And what's I didn't know what happened to anybody all night. We came around the three and four, and I saw the one, the nine car with their quarter panel knocked off of it, and I was like, how in the hell does that? You know, I don't know what's going on. Them guys, my my guys that are talking to me, they're telling me the very bare minimum information that I need. So. Like, uh, it's usually with TJ on the box, he's giving me a play-by-play of everything, right? Uh, he loves to talk. But um, tonight it was bare minimum. I didn't know what was going on with anyone else's race. I didn't know how many cars were on the lead lap. I didn't know. I just knew who I was racing by looking out, looking over the over the hood and in the mirror. Otherwise, I didn't know much about what else was happening to anybody else. So I know the 7-1, uh, Hemrick's here, so he must have ran good. I had a blast, buddy. I had a good time racing you. Um and so other than that, I ain't got a clue where anyone ran or finished and how everything is for the championship going forward. I just know one thing. I didn't cause any problems tonight for nobody. <laughs> I was a big deal for me. I didn't want to come in here and screw up somebody's championship. Everybody be like, damn, Junior don't need to be out there. But uh, so I got, I mean, I shouldn't be racing in the playoffs. That's a dumb idea. But anyways, I got, at Homestead, there's a lot of room. I'll stay away from you guys. Yep, thank you. All right, we're going to have to take a couple more questions and then wrap up for time. Um, we'll go Jeff, Jordan, and in with Matt Weaver. Go ahead, Jeff. Kind of along the lines of Dustin's first question. I mean, for years you've kind of wondered aloud about what makes a driver retire, yeah. what want to give it up. But, like, I feel like there's less clarity after seeing you do something like this. I know like You're almost 49. But, like, now what do you make of it? Because, like, you don't really have any answers. Yeah, Bobby ran until Bobby and Harry Gant and them guys, they were good in their 50s, you know. Um, but it's like, a, I mean, it's it's the car. Like, I'm driving a great race car. That's going to help me a lot, look really good. But it's the, it's like that I'm a really bad golfer. But if I go out there, I'll bet you the first nine I'm ready to quit, never play again, and then I'll hit the pin on my second shot on a far four, and that's all it takes to keep you coming back is that one good drive or that one nice shot. And so <clears throat> the last couple of races had me really wondering, damn, do I need to not do this anymore? I'm really not getting nothing out of it running 15th and struggling and being frustrated. Then you go run good, and you're like, well, okay. Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe it's where I'm racing. Maybe I just need to run at certain tracks that I love and really enjoy, or I don't know. I, mean, where the, I w- certainly do look where in junior motorsports is quick. But, man, it's hard to turn down Homestead. It's so fun running the wall there. I'd run the wall in 15th and have a blast, you know, 20th. I, it's a fun racetrack and <clears throat> a lot of off-throttle. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I mean, when our, if our cars were struggling, man, if we were struggling to run 7th at, at our best, I don't know if I'd be that entertain, enter, you know, entertained to run it. But we got a good team, good group. So while it, you know, while it makes sense, we'll just see what's going on, see who wants to do it. Jordan Bianchi, the Athletic, two quick questions. Will Bristol be on the schedule next year for you? Man, I don't know. I think it was fun. Funner, it was, yeah, I don't know. What's it like being the old guy in the field? I know, it's weird. I didn't know that. So tell me, is it true There, I was the only 40-year-old out there? Cause, so I'm 49 in October. I think I'm the oldest for sure. And I text the booth, uh, Burton and them, and they're like, yeah, you're the only, our stat guys are telling us you're the only one in his 40s. I don't know if that's exactly true, but um, how old's B.J. McLeod? He was out there. Damn. So uh, I'm the oldest and the only. I'm like the oldest by decades. What is that? What is that? I don't. I don't. 
I don't feel that old. I don't, but, you know, I don't. I think I'm fresh as ever. Um, but I, uh, that was a surprising to learn that. But, uh, you know, I don't know. <clears throat> I guess, yeah. I mean, like I say, some of them guys ran long and were decent. All right, we'll take our final question from Matt. Go ahead, Matt. Matt Weaver, sportsnot.com. Um, you, you addressed most what I wanted to answer with, um, with Dustin's question, but I want to frame it this way. You've run so much late model stuff the last two years, and it's been such a challenge to get reacclimated to those cars. Was there a part of you going back to this Xfinity start tonight where it's like, man, I've gotten my butt kicked so many times doing the late model stuff. Is it me or is it the car? Right. And is there some validation in coming here and saying, okay, it's not me. I can still do this. I just need to learn the late models. Yes, all that. Um, it, it, the, for some reason, man, the late model stock car takes a style of input and the the way you drive the car is just so unique. And I still don't know exactly what that is. Every once in a while, I'll run a lap and be like, I don't know how I did that. But, like, we qualified really good at Florence the other week, and I don't know where that came from because I've never qualified inside the top 20 there in the two, other two runs I made. <clears throat> what would maybe make me not run as much Xfinity races is certainly running more late model stock races in the Cars Tour, especially on the front half of the year when I'm not working with NBC. <clears throat> I wanna, I'd love to run my late model car more, but that means getting my butt kicked more. Um and I think, honestly, I really feel better in the Xfinity car. I feel like I know what I'm doing, what the car, I know what to expect out of the tire of the car, the sidewall, the tire, all of the things make more sense to me when I go out on the track and steer the car through the corner. In the late model stock car, I'm still not 100% sure what I need to feel, what I should be feeling, what I don't want to feel, what I need to fix. And um, I'll have to run that car a lot more to get better at it. But, I mean, I, I think I could run that car for, a long time right into my late 50s if i wanted to and not not care about how competitive i was whereas we this is the second top this is the top uh, two series in this in the in the country in stock car racing you know you can't you only want to come race here if you can think you can do it do it and do it well and i certainly won't won't do it if i don't feel like i am good enough to be out there so um, it won't make any sense to be out there if I'm not hitting on all cylinders mentally and things aren't making sense. You know, that's when it definitely needs to need to stop doing it. But right so far, it's clicked along tonight. So I think Homestead, I, I was always great uh, as far as adapting to Homestead and understanding what I thought I needed to do. And so it's definitely intentional where I race <clears throat> some of these tracks. I, I probably wouldn't want to race that and wouldn't feel comfortable or think I could be that competitive, but Homestead's one of the tracks I really enjoy. Dale, before we let you go, I know tonight a lot of the drivers had um, your school driving gloves oh, yeah. for raising That's right. money for your foundation. Yeah. I think there was maybe 60 gloves between yeah. tonight and tomorrow night. Um, if you don't mind, just to give us uh, kind of you. your thoughts on kind of the industry, you know, getting behind Thanks that. Thanks for giving me a chance to speak about that. Um, so we have 60-plus drivers wearing the gloves this weekend. It is a lot of work to get 60 pairs of gloves to drivers, and drivers do not always love brand new gloves, and they got to fit a certain way. And some gloves are, you know, you'll I get a, I, my pair was tight tonight, didn't like it, but um, so I appreciate the driver sort of managing that um, lack of comfort if if that's what's going on with some of them. But I know we're all particular about our our stuff, <clears throat> but uh, 
Pristine Auctions is managing all the auctions for those gloves. I'll sign them. The drivers will sign them. We'll get them back, you know, back home after the race, and uh, they're all race used, race worn from tonight and tomorrow night. And um, it's fun to do. The skull gloves are fun. Uh, I think people think they're fun. Um, they're goofy looking, uh, and uh, I, th- I hope the drivers enjoy running them for a weekend. Uh, it's, we raise a, du- a bunch of money for the foundation, uh, <clears throat> so that's just a. It's really a lot of fun to do something like this, and all the other drivers want to be a part of it. And that happens across the board with everybody's foundation and everybody's initiatives. All the drivers, we you know, whether you know, no matter who it is, we're at their events. Everybody goes and 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 supports. We might get in arguments or dislike how we get raced on the racetrack sometimes by each other, but when it comes down to the charitable initiatives and the missions that a lot of our drivers have, uh, you'll see all the drivers want to jump on board and support, and I think that's fantastic, and this is a great example of that. You'll have to see it to believe it. Whoever said that must have been talking about Talladega. It's a place where chaos mixes with speed, and a playoffs weekend becomes a lifetime of memories. It's a tradition like no other, at a track like no other. And after it's all over, you still won't believe it ever happened. NASCAR Playoffs Weekend at Talladega, September 30th through October 1st. Get your tickets now at talladegasuperspeedway.com. All right, everyone, we'll go ahead and get started with our media availabilities today. Uh, First in... We're very happy to have with us um, a very special guest of Bristol Motor Speedway this weekend. Uh, we're celebrating his 20th anniversary of his first night race victory back in 2003. Uh, Mr. Kurt Busch, 2004 Cup champion, 34 Cup wins. And Kurt, does it feel like it's been 20 years? I know you, it's even longer than that since your first win at Bristol, but 20 years since your first night race win. Yeah, it's, it's hard to believe, uh, but it's been a, an awesome ride and a fun ride, and thank you for, for the recognition. And to have won your six times over the years, uh, you know, with three different teams, you know, the, the track, the way that, uh, that I figured this place out was through uh, the School of Hard Knocks, though. Um, my 2001 rookie year, I wrecked both times, knocked out as many radiators as the team had, and that was before the pedestrian tunnel. So I had to sit in the infield and watch the rest of the races. Couldn't even leave. So that's when I was like, you know what? You better figure this place out. And then when Sharpie, my main sponsor at the time at Roush, sponsored uh, the night race, I'm like, wow, just a little bit of extra added pressure here. Here we go. Uh, and so it's been a fun ride, fun journey. Um, you know, to have won here in 2002 for my first ever race, and then to win again with uh, Stuart Haas in 2018. Uh, that was uh, 16 years in between uh, a run at a track, and uh, that's that's something that I'm, I'm proud of. Uh, you know, to have just had that many opportunities to win, though, it's from all the cool race teams and great people that have worked on the cars that I've driven and, and raced. And so it's with the teams, the people, uh, the atmosphere here. Um, I always tell race fans that this is a top five venue that you need to get on your bucket list. You know, we talk about Daytona 500, uh, the Coke 600. Uh, you can go in a few different directions from there, but of course the the Southern 500. Uh, my home track in Vegas, I think that's a, that's a top one that, that drivers want to win at. 
uh, road courses, super speedways, but this is the, the best short track that we race on, and this is why I call it a top five event. It's, um, it's tough, it's mean, it's relentless, it, uh, it has the atmosphere of a, you know, a stadium with, uh, with the Coliseum effect, and just the overall ambiance of this place. It's not easy to get to, right? You gotta commit when you're coming to Bristol, and when you get here, you're, you're pleasantly surprised on how awesome this place is. So thank you, Bristol, to all the many years of fun. Of course, Kurt, six-time Bristol winner. You talked about your 2018 night race win. A lot of journalists called that an instant classic. You actually christened the track with a name. A lot of people realize Dale Earnhardt Jr. did its Bristol baby. But that night you did the holy grail of short tracks. You called it that. Is, do you have any – did that just come to you? Had been thinking about that? Well, it's because it's so special. And um, when you win here, you know, the, the opportunities are, are tough. They're, they're slim to have a – quality car and a quality team and when you're able to line up all the puzzle pieces to win at such a cool place uh, that that's what rang in my head on this is the holy grail of tough tough mean short tracks and again it, it's the track it's it's the the grandstands it's the people uh, and just how how loud it is here and, and what it takes to find that right rhythm I mean you can't just bulldoze people out of the way you have to learn to finesse your way around this racetrack while running 15 second lap times. It's, uh, it's, it's only for the top dogs that have figured it out. And just walking in right now, a few minutes ago, I bumped into Jeff Hammond, who was crew chief for many of Darrell Waltrip's victories. And Darrell will always tell you as a racer that uh, he, he put a headrest in on his right side of his headrest and that helped him with stamina. That way he could stay fresher longer in the 500 lap races with the bigger, heavier cars. And I looked straight at him one time and I go, that is some BS, Daryl. But you know what? Whatever you guys had to win 12 times here, you had it. And it's, uh, it, it was really neat just to have my chance to win here a few times. And then uh, my little brother now has eight. So he did jump ahead of me on the total win count here. We'll open it up for questions for Kurt. Raise your hand and we'll get a mic to you. Okay, Jay. Uh, Jay Pennell with Racing America. Uh, for a team that's been so new to the sport, 100 races for 2311, um, they, they had both drivers in the playoffs last year, five wins with, with you, um, Bubba, and Tyler. What has been the, the thing that has really kind of led to that team's success and, and kind of expand on your role now um, helping, more, helping them find more success? You know, our, our motto at 2311 is forward together. Uh, we really do a lot of unique things within our structure to make sure that the, the amount of crew members that are working on these cars are all committed to both the car number 23 and the car number 45. You know, the, the pit crews might show up for each specific car number, uh, the engineers and a few other of the, the wrenches and the mechanics show up just for the specific car number. After that, it is a basket weaving process where everything is layered so that the engineer on the 45 will keep track of something on the 23. The race strategist on the 23 will help something with the 45. Uh, I just, it's a concept that is new to our sport, but it's not new to motorsports. Uh, it's things you see in Formula One or it's things you see in MotoGP where you have your, your group of, of men and women who go to the track the ones that stay back at the race shop, and then uh, a powerful marketing team 
you know, that's, that's led within our group by Steve Laletta, our president, who reports to a, a guy named Michael Jordan and a guy named Denny Hamlin. Uh, we've got a bunch of power players and, and power spots. And for me, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a, an overseer in all categories. This past week, I was in Dallas at the National Sales Convention for Beast. Uh, Beast is the Monster Energy Drink. That's an alcohol brand. Uh, and we had distributors and wholesalers from all across the country there at that event. And those are things that we're doing to try to continue to push uh, to make a bigger splash here in NASCAR. We'll go over here for our next question. Zach Sterniello, NASCAR.com. Kurt, on, on your left here. Um, understanding that Bubba is coming in beneath the elimination line tonight. Do you have any conversations with him heading into a race like this? Obviously, you're so well-versed in how these playoffs work and how volatile like, they can be, this being his first experience on the driver's side of these playoffs. What conversations have you had with Bubba? Yeah, he did a phenomenal job. Bubba Wallace did a phenomenal job last year driving the car for 2311 that was playoff eligible. And he embraced it really well. His consistency, uh, his demeanor, and his willingness to want to do something for the race team and not necessarily himself, uh, he grew quite a bit last year, and that's why you're seeing more out of him this year. Uh, you know, and then on the fun side of things, keeping it real, keeping it honest, I, I wore shoes today. Of course. Got our Jordan brand thing, but this is Eye of the Tiger for Bubba today, okay? This is for you, Bubba. Let's roll, buddy. So these are, these are things that we're doing behind the scenes. It's always have fun. Keep pushing. And Bubba's in a position that's a, a tough one to be in, but he was put in this position due to a flat tire at Kansas. Otherwise, he would be plus 20. But a few other guys could say the same thing. And so that's where I try to change his mindset as fast as I can on you weren't given a bad hand. A bunch of guys were. Now we got to dig out of this together. All right, we'll go to Ben White. Uh, ben White, Fayetteville Observer. Kirk, when you won a championship in 2004, what did you do in the final race or two to stay focused to win that championship? I mean, was, what did you do to, to stay on top of it and win it? I tried to make the days go by as fast as they could in between each Sunday. I think I mowed my grandma's lawn 15 times during those 10 weeks. Um, I went down to uh, Key West to go fishing for a couple days early and just tried to stay busy with things away from motorsports, uh, away from the team, because we had already done our homework. We had already chosen our setups. Um, you know, back then, we could test during the playoffs, you know, choose a racetrack and go there and test 10 days prior to the event. So we had, a, we had a busy 10 weeks, and that was the best thing for me as a young kid. I was 26. Just was to stay busy and, and stay the course. Um, I, I got Go ahead, Ben. Okay. And one, one other quick one. When you come to Bristol, when you were driving here and you won all those times, the days leading up to Bristol, what did you do mentally to prepare for this place? Because you're looking at five, what, 500 laps, and, I mean, did you just have to sit down and concentrate on, I've got this beast that I've got to go into and, and race this place? I mean, what did you do to, to get prepared for it? Uh, I was lucky enough to win uh, a bunch of races early when I was young, and, you know, you could do so many different things in your young 20s that, that you can't when you're in your later 30s. And, as time progressed, I had that confidence, though, to know how to win here and how to apply it to the race. And when you find things to calm you down, breath work, 
you know, working out and staying ahead of it, hydration, you add in all those ingredients to get ahead of it before you race here. All right, we'll go with Steven and then over to Bruce. Steven Toronto, CBS Sports, Kurt, right here. Uh, when Tyler won at uh, Coda earlier this year, you were in the boot for Fox, and there was a nice tender moment during the last lap when you, you know, realized that, you know, Tyler was driving the 45, your car, to victory. With Tyler having won last week, do you, did you have a moment like that again, or has, you know, his announcing your retirement a couple of weeks ago in Daytona and moving on to the next phase of your career at 2311 allowed you to, you know, be able to process and see those things a little easier? Uh, you know, you said a key four-letter word in your question, and you said your, your car. 45 in that moment became Tyler's car. I wanted him to know that in victory lane as well. And that's where there's those different things. Not one thing leads up to my announcement for retirement from full-time racing and from the cup series. It's things like that, that make you feel like you've done the right thing. And now it's now here's the reins kid. It's your car. You need to have the confidence. Now these are your guys. And so that's, that's something to where last week again was very special at Kansas. Um, I was at the, the war room with the race team and you can just feel the energy of everyone there because of how good our setups have been at Kansas and the mile and a half. And so Tyler's a driver of the 45 car. And, and you mentioned the, uh, sorry, you mentioned the war room at 2311. Exactly. Can you divulge exactly what your responsibilities in, in there are? I'm the, the CFO. I'm the captain of the fund department. Sorry, CFD. Yeah, CFD, captain of the fund department. Right. No, it's, uh, it's a room that you would see in, in NASA settings with all of our telemetry. The engineers uh, were on a headset connected to the pit box. It's live during practice. It's live during qualifying the race. Uh, there's things that I see that I'm tuned in on with our in-car cameras. Uh, there's things I'm tuned in on with the broadcast and my general notebooks and my knowledge of this is something that you're supposed to do at lap 100 at Kansas or, hey, keep track of tire wear early in the race uh, on the lower air pressures. And that's when we saw the right rear uh, issues. And that's just communicating with the team to help verify when somebody has a question that I give them the confidence to know how to go forward with it. Thanks, Kurt. All right, now we'll go to Bruce and then Michael. Bruce Martin with Speed Sport and Forbes. A uh, driver you raced against at Indy in 2014 is having a pretty rough go of it. Simon Pagano, do you see any similarities in his recovery from what you've had to go through? And have you been able to speak with him? Yeah, his, um, his marketing agency and, and scheduling agency is the same as mine. And so I was able to get his phone number very quickly. And I've communicated with him, texts, uh, phone calls, even uh, things with his wife. Uh, just to add in where I can help and to offer uh, different doctors that I've seen and, and different procedures that, that I've gone through. But his is, his is very similar. And how difficult is that type of injury? If you, if you break your arm or break your leg, you have an idea when you're going to be back to 100%. But with this, there is no rule book or instruction book that comes with a head injury. Yeah, it, at the end of the day of working with different um, neurologists, I've learned that there's six major, different major types of concussions, and then there's 20 to 30 variants of each. Uh, age can come into into play. Uh, the the violent accident that that was 
the final one of you couldn't pass the concussion protocol. Then there's quantity of wrecks and other things over time that, that add up. So it, it's, yeah, it's not just a playbook that says, hey, you broke your arm and you're going to be back in three weeks or six weeks. You know, a guy like Aaron Rodgers just tore his Achilles tendon and is his schedule the same as a young guy that would tear it and have that same injury? We don't know. All right, we'll take our last question over here with Michael. Michael Massey, Front Stretch. Kurt, uh, people have enjoyed the times you've been on TV and doing the TV work. Uh, it, there's rumors of a third TV partner coming in to do like a summer series or something. If they called you up and said, hey, we want you to be the color guy, would you consider it? Yeah, I would, I would consider it. Um, you know, I feel like the time that I've spent with Fox has been well served with um, two years of doing truck series playoffs, um, you know, as many Xfinity races as I could get my hands on. You know, the, the TV booth for the, the cup stuff is, you know, the show. That's that's the that's where I would want to be and be part of. And if there's a new TV partner or if there's a streaming side of how things would be presented to millions of race fans, I'm open to any and all ideas. Uh, it just seems like with the NBC side and Fox side that they had their decisions made uh, and that they've already moved forward with their chosen analysts and, and how they're going to operate. But uh, I'm, I'm all around. I'm, I'm ready and open for anything. Maybe we do, uh, once my brother's done racing, we do the Bush Brothers cast, you know, where we're hanging out at a bar making fun of all the guys going in circles. All right. Do you have a pick for tonight, by the way, Kurt? Uh, I got my boy. I got my boy, Bubba. Uh, but no, uh, the way that uh, the Toyotas have been running as of late, uh, you got two on the front row and a good, good group of guys that need to, you know, dig deep to find the points and to advance their way in. And then there's some that, uh, you know, can ride a little bit. And, and work their cushion in points. So I think Denny can be the most aggressive with the best starting position. That's, uh, that's my pick, and it's not just because he's my boss. All right. Well, we appreciate you uh, spending some time with us today. Yeah, thank thank you. you. You'll have to see it to believe it. Whoever said that must have been talking about Talladega. It's a place where chaos mixes with speed, and a playoffs weekend becomes a lifetime of memories. It's a tradition like no other, and a track like no other. And after it's all over, you still won't believe it ever happened. NASCAR Playoffs Weekend at Talladega, September 30th through October 1st. Get your tickets now at talladegasuperspeedway.com. I'll start our post-race press conference uh, with our winning crew chief, crew chief of the number 11, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, and that's Chris Gabehart. Um, Chris, maybe just give us an opening uh, statement about uh, your view atop the box and uh, winning one of uh, one of NASCAR's crown jewel Bristol Light races. You just mentioned that. Yeah, no secret. My favorite race. I'll go ahead and say it. Uh, what a fantastic atmosphere! Just just electric. Uh, represents everything that is quintessential stock car racing. Uh, short short track, high bank action everywhere. Uh, I say it all the time. The reason I love this track so much is it shows you just how hard it is to drive these race cars. There is, uh, there, there's just, it's amazing to watch these guys do what they do. My favorite track, um, won our second Bristol night race, uh, super pumped and really proud of this team. No doubt. Thank you, Chris. If you have a question. Uh, 
Lee Spencer catch friends. Despite as good as your car was, when Larson's in the rearview mirror, you, you have to be a little bit concerned. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've I've told all of you how I feel about Larson and his talent, and if he has a sniff of it at any point, you saw it fairly late in the race, right? We got uh, we had such a lead that we kind of got a little conservative behind the, the eight and uh, some other car there, and just kind of know where to go for a little bit and. Here comes Larson like a prize fighter off the mat. I mean, he's right back on our bumper, uh, giving us all we want one more time. And uh, him, that team, that whole group, uh, what a what a class act. Um, we've had our run-ins lately, but, you know, when you, you're two teams that consistently find yourself up front and you race with a lot of passion and to win like, like that group does, you're going to have that. And um, that's why we all show up to watch these races, right? So... I think the world of Kyle Larson and his team, and I'm just glad we were able to beat them today. What about Bob? I'm Bob Parker, Fox Sports. I know there's several others, but it seems like both you and Larson are the kind of teams week in and week out. So what what will you have to do to beat them for the championship? Uh, just keep doing what we've been doing. I mean, you know, obviously the first round is, is full of really good tracks for, for Denny and this team, but... Um, Clearly, we were capable of winning all three races and just had situations keep us to only winning one. Um, you know, Texas, we tested there, uh, should have a great race, but you just got to keep executing. Um, that's all you can do is move on to the next race. Uh, tonight, we're going to enjoy this one. It's a big one. Um, you know, we've had a, a, a tough couple of weeks mentally with the team to perform at such a high level and not get the wins. Uh, but I told him in our meeting today, um, and, and nights like tonight, it's so easy to do. But you just got to keep competing at a high level for the love of the game. It can't be it can't be about results. To to put in the passion that it takes to perform at this high level, you have to do it for the love of the game. And uh, the team that I'm with, I'm just so thankful to stand on their shoulders because they are giants, Denny included. And uh, we just got to keep executing at that level, and we'll find ourselves in Phoenix with a shot to get it done. Obviously, we're now joined also by Coach Joe Gibbs, the owner of Joe Gibbs. Cole Cusimano with the Arizona Republic. I've got one for each of you guys. Uh, first, for Chris, congratulations. You mentioned how challenging this track is for the drivers, but I'm curious, how challenging is it for you as a crew chief, and what are some obstacles that you have to go through to uh, overcome and win this race? Yeah, great question. Uh, again, quintessential stock car racing. This place is, there's no loads higher than here. So when you talk engineering and the stress and the strain that it puts on the tires, um, you know, uh, the steering components, you know, we were here last year, we had tire failures and steering component failures. I don't think there was a single one in the field this year. So some of the very brightest minds in the sport, uh, like, like Goodyear and, and NASCAR and all the race teams, figuring out how to handle this place. But it is a monster. Uh, there is nothing like it other than maybe miles up there in Dover, uh, since I say the words monster. But, but truthfully, there is it, this place from a physics perspective and, and getting into all the nitty-gritty details that my team has to do. There's just simply nothing else to look at. This is, this is the one. And then uh, for Coach, congratulations. Um, just want to get your thoughts on Ty's run tonight. Yeah, just really, really proud of Ty. I think he was uh, in the middle of the race there. He really felt good. He was really fast. And so we just appreciate um, the fact that he understands this. you got to earn your way. 
And so he's got to keep fighting, and and we'll just see because you can't. There's no way to talk your way or buy your way. You got to race your way. And so we're proud of what he's done so far. Just I want to say, just proud of our teams, and Chris and Denny. I mean, that car has been really, really as good as any three races we've had. Just really appreciate that and the fact that we got to win tonight. Appreciate Martin from the standpoint. Couldn't have had. You'll have to see it to believe it. Whoever said that must have been talking about Talladega. It's a place where chaos mixes with speed. And a playoffs weekend becomes a lifetime of memories. It's a tradition like no other. And a track like no other. And after it's all over, you still won't believe it ever happened. NASCAR Playoffs Weekend at Talladega, September 30th through October 1st. Get your tickets now at talladegasuperspeedway.com.